right. So, seems like each week we're up here, I'm trying a new way to do these PowerPoint slides, and uh, there's a new way for us to struggle to get it right. So while we're getting this all squared away, uh, first of all, I just want to um, direct you to where our passage will be found this morning. Uh, today we pick back up in our uh, study of Philippians, chapter 2, verses 19 through 30. I I've heard great things about Wes's sermon last week and hopefully can uh, build upon uh, the good work that he started there. Oh my goodness. Okay. I do bring you greetings from Reedsville, North Carolina and Main Street United Methodist Church. Uh, They were very uh, thankful that you allowed me to come down last week to speak at their homecoming. Uh, I know uh, homecoming is something that's a little uh, southern in its uh, origins. I don't think I've heard of any churches up here that do that consistently like like they do down there. So, um, but it was good to be back. down and have the opportunity to uh, preach at the first church that had actually hired me to uh, serve as a youth pastor during my time as a college student. I would drive up from Columbia, South Carolina to my hometown of Reedsville, North Carolina uh, every uh, twice a month to uh, do the uh, youth meeting and the Bible study and then to uh, during the summer I would be there full time and it really was a a great opportunity uh, to uh, to encourage and to, uh, to see some faces that I haven't seen in a long time. It was nice to go back to the pulpit uh, that I preached in uh, my very first sermon. Uh, I warned them that uh, there was no such thing as a 10-minute sermon in my life anymore and uh, then went on to prove that to them. Um, but again, I, they were glad to uh, have us and glad probably to give me back as well. Uh, and I have to tell you that I'm very glad to be back home today with you all. It is truly a blessing uh, and an honor to uh, be back home. And I don't say that lightly. This is home. Uh, thank you so much for uh, your gift to our family. Uh, but what I want you to understand, even, even more than a, a month of the year where pastors are honored, which is great, um, it is an even greater honor to be your pastor. That is truly the gift of God uh, to me and to our family, just to have been a part of this church for so many years. And I think I still don't have control. All right, so um, let's dive in. And uh, I'm just going to count on you guys, all right? We're good? We are good. All right. Ephesians chapter 2, or excuse me, Philippians chapter 2, beginning at verse 19. All right, it's all on you, dog. I'm not fighting this battle the rest of the morning. All righty. Verse 19. I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you. For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. They all seek their own interests, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, 
How as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go for me. And I, will, and I trust in the Lord that I shortly myself will come also. I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all, and he has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death. But God had mercy on him, and not only him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy, and honor such men. For he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Let us pray together. Lord, I do thank you for your word and for the opportunity to be home again, to open it up to your people. Lord, I pray that you would help me to speak clearly and well. Lord, I pray for my dear brothers and sisters, Lord, uh, that your truth would sink deep into their hearts. Lord, that the fruit of what we learn from this passage would result to the praise of your glory in our lives forevermore. Do good to your people. Bring salvation to those who do not believe. And help your servant, I pray in Jesus' name. Amen. Now, this is one of those passages that when I was planning this uh, foray into the book of Philippians, you know, you come to, to some passages of Scripture and you get really fired up because you you recognize, wow, this one will preach. And then you come to others that, that start to deal with personal issues or, or starts to name names like our passage this morning. And, and you begin to wonder, like, what on earth am I going to do with that? If you were here years ago when we went through the, the Gospel of Luke, we started with the genealogy. Do you guys remember that? It's a long list of names that were hard to pronounce. And, and that was one of those passages that you look at and think, Lord, what do you do? How, how, how do you feed the people with such a passage? Well, this is not one of those passages. It names names, but oh, there, there, there is no doubt that there is so much that we can take from this passage of Scripture. Brothers and sisters, we, we live in a culture and in a world, and, and it's always been this way since the fall. We live in a world that honors all the wrong things. We live in a world that, 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 that calls evil good and good evil. And, and from our passage this morning today, we, we see an example of flipping the script, getting it right. Learning as the people of God to, to honor those who are worthy of honor. And not just honoring them, but also seeking to emulate their example. This isn't just something for the Philippians, brothers and sisters. This is for us. That, that we would become a, a people 
who recognizes the work of God in the lives of others and their faithful acts for the glory of God and our taking delight in those things. We should be a church that looks for opportunity to encourage and honor one another. It is fitting that, that, that we tackle a passage like this in Pastor Appreciation Month because it deals with leadership, but I must confess that, that I don't feel worthy of your honor. I don't. So please don't hear this as as a self-serving message. Nothing would bring me more joy than to see you looking for opportunities to encourage one another. Paul honors two men in Philippians chapter 2, verses 19 through 30, who were faithful. A loving leader and a a sacrificing servant who had served with him and served with him in ways that, uh, that, 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 that helped him to be more faithful in the ministry that God had called him to. And the key, brothers and sisters, to, to, to such loving faithfulness and, and, and sacrificial service is truly found as we mature spiritually. And so as we look for reasons to honor one another and opportunities to honor one another, I also want to challenge us this morning to to understand that the obligation and and, uh, and the great privilege that we have as followers of Christ to, to cultivate spiritual maturity in our lives. The, the, the men that Paul writes about were, were men who were growing in their faith. And, and, and here at, at New Hope, may, may God raise up men and women who are maturing in their faith. That we would serve and lead one another well. I want to read to you a quote from Charles Spurgeon. You guys get quotes from him a lot because he is probably the most quotable guy in the history of the church that is not a writer of scripture. Good man. Faith and works are bound up in the same bundle. He that obeys God trusts God. And he that trusts God obeys God. He that is without faith is without works, and he that is without works is without faith. In our passage today, Paul writes of of two men whose faith and their works were evident in the church. And in so doing, brothers and sisters, he illustrates the importance of, of loving leadership and sacrificial service within the church. And again, may God raise up this in each one of our lives as well. Let's look first at loving leadership, verses 19 through 24. Paul writes, I hope in the Lord Jesus to send Timothy to you soon, so that I too may be cheered by news of you, for I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your welfare. For they all seek their own interest, not those of Jesus Christ. But you know Timothy's proven worth, How as a son with a father he has served with me in the gospel. 
I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it goes with me, how it will go with me. And I trust in the Lord that shortly I myself will come also. Now, we remember the context here. Paul, writing from prison, is unsure of what will happen to him next. We saw this in chapter 1. Death was a real possibility. And he was concerned for the well-being of the church. He, he, he decides he wants to send Timothy to, to check on them and also to encourage and care for their souls. Now, it's important that we remember that as we set up Timothy as an example, it's important to remember that he was a man with weaknesses like you and I. We, we see this in First and Second Timothy where Paul calls on Timothy to become the man that Jesus died for him to be. He, he calls on him to be brave, to be pure, to be an example of godliness. And, and we learn much about loving leadership from these verses. First of all, we, we learn that faithful leaders must be trustworthy. That would be a great summation of this entire section of verses. And we also see that faithful leaders must also have a genuine love for the church. See that in verses 20 and 21, where Paul writes, For I have no one like him who will be genuinely concerned for your souls, for your welfare. That phrase, no one like him, literally means to be of one mind or of one soul with someone. Paul looked at Timothy as a faithful son, someone who was of of single-minded purpose with him when it came to the growth and the care for the church. So, So Paul's not just sending anyone. He's sending his boy, his man. He he wants him to go because he knows that whatever he sends Timothy to do, Timothy is going to follow through because Timothy, like Paul, genuinely loved the church, sincerely loved the church. And you put that in in the context or or in contrast to those that, that had turned away. Paul says everybody else is... Turned away, they're, they're seeking their own way, their own well-being, their own interests. They're not looking out for what Christ would have for you, but they, they're, they're, they're seeking to do what they want to do. If you, if you flip over to, to 2 Timothy verse, uh, chapter 1, verse, 1 Timothy, 2 Timothy chapter 1, verse 15, you, you, you see an example of that in Paul's writing. Paul writes, you are aware that all who are in Asia turned away from me, among whom are Phygelus and Hermogenes. May the Lord grant mercy to the household of Onesiphorus, for he refreshed me and was not ashamed of my chains. But here we see two examples of those who had turned away from Paul, two people that perhaps he saw had potential to serve with him and to serve the church faithfully. Something's wrong? Okay. (laughs) Ah, we have control. 
Thank you. <laughs> there we go. All right. But, but Paul was no stranger to having his heart broken as people have turned their backs on him. But Timothy was not that man. Faithful leaders are, are also a gift to others. Verse 22. But you, Philippians, know Timothy's proven worth, how as a son with a father, he has served with me in the gospel. I hope, therefore, to send him just as soon as I see how it will go with me. They're a gift to others. He, he, he knew that, that, that Timothy's arrival at the church would be for the church's good. He was a, a mature man, a faithful man, who was able to strengthen the church. And finally, we see also that faithful leaders are valuable to the church. He says, you, you know of Timothy's proven worth. It's not going to be there to, to, to waste their time. So, so how do we cultivate loving leaders and loving leadership in the context of the church? Well, first of all, we understand that, that love for the church must first stem from our love for God. We preach on this often, and, and, and you're encouraged with this often, because it really is an overarching theme in Scripture. We are who we are to others because of First, who we are in relation to God through Jesus Christ. Does that make sense? I cannot love my wife as Jesus loved the church and gave his life for her until I first come to love my Savior with an even greater devotion. Can I do good to her? Yes. But I am of greater good for her when my devotion to God is even greater than my devotion to her. Because in loving him, I'm going to love her better. The same is true in the context of, uh, of my relationship with other believers. We first love one another better when we are seeking to love God wholeheartedly. And, and that's key. That, that th this isn't just about people who hold positions of authority in the context of a church. But it's true of each one of us. If we are going to fulfill our call to love one another well, and, and it is one of the highest callings we have as the church, it's the proof that we're disciples, then we need to understand that to love each other well, we must first learn to love God well. And, and love for the church requires that we be willing to sacrifice for her good. Now again, I'm talking primarily about the people that make up the church. We, we sacrifice and serve well. But we recognize that, that in caring for one another, the opportunities to, to, to love and to meet one another's needs are not always going to come at convenient times. That, that call to the hospital or that person who may need a ride, that, that, that's probably not going to come when you're sitting around doing nothing. Sometimes it comes in the middle of the night. Sometimes it comes recognizing after church, hey, such and such seemed really down. I wonder if I can ask them to lunch. 
That may mean making a, a phone call or, or following up during the week. But, but, but it's not necessarily a convenient thing. You may have other things on your agenda that you give up for the good of your brother or sister in need. And we must be willing to do that, brothers and sisters. That reveals, basically, that our love for the church leads to greater priorities. We recognize that, that, that our agenda and our desires, even though they may not always be bad things that we want to do, sometimes there are better things that we're called to as the body of Christ. And while it may not always be convenient, it is always good. So how are our priorities this morning, brothers and sisters? Is our top priority a, 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 a love for God that leads for love for others? What, whatever role they may have in our lives in a way that brings glory to God? Are you seeking to, to cultivate a heart and, and mind that, that, that equips you to lovingly lead others in the context of the church? Our second example is Epaphroditus. We see this in verses 25 through 30 as we consider sacrificial servanthood. Paul writes, I have thought it necessary to send to you Epaphroditus, my brother and fellow worker and fellow soldier, and your messenger and minister to my need. For he has been longing for you all and has been distressed because you heard that he was ill. Indeed, he was ill, near to death, but God had mercy on him, and not only on him, but on me also, lest I should have sorrow upon sorrow. I am the more eager to send him, therefore, that you may rejoice at seeing him again, and that I may be less anxious. So receive him in the Lord with all joy. And honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Now, we know that Epaphroditus was sent by the church in Philippi to, to deliver their monetary gift to the Apostle Paul in prison. And it's often taken for granted that this was just some easy trip for him to make. But it's important that we keep in mind that, that, Paul, that Epaphroditus was actually traveling with a large sum of money from Philippi, most likely to Rome, in danger of being mugged, robbed, having everything he had taken from him, but also going to a situation where the emperor could have changed his mind. At the time, Paul had many freedoms, but they could have been revoked just like that and those affiliated with Paul imprisoned right along with him. But Epaphroditus willingly, joyfully took on this task of, as Paul concludes uh, this section by saying that he, he, he basically filled up what was lacking in their gift. They were great in their generosity. They raised the money, but had the money stayed in Philippi, it would have been of no value to Paul in prison. And so Epaphroditus completed that work by delivering the money to Paul. We, we know that he became ill, Paul tells us here, even to the point of death. 
in his effort to minister to Paul on behalf of the church. So this was no small thing. Now in scripture, we don't know much about Epaphroditus other than what we find here. Now there's an Epaphras in uh, Ephesians, but those two don't seem to be the same people. But here we we see this man being honored for this act of of bravery and service to the church. We can learn a lot about faithful service through Epaphroditus' example. First of all, we see that faithful service is born out of a love for God. It was an act of worship. Faithful servants also cultivate true fellowship within the context of the church. Faithful servants sincerely love other Christians. See that in verse 26, where Paul writes, that he has been longing for you all and is still distressed because you heard that he was ill. Epaphroditus loved his church. Paul refers to him as a fellow worker. That's someone who shares in the labor of the gospel. That's a phrase that, that, that Paul almost exclusively uses in the New Testament. John uses it once, but Paul uses it over and over again to refer to regular folk in the context of the church who were faithful in supporting him in ministry, but also in their ministry as well. Interestingly, and when we get to Philippians chapter 4, where, where, where Paul addresses the two women who are bickering in the church, Euodia and Syntyche, He actually refers to them as fellow workers as well. It's a a term that he uses to honor those who serve in the church. Paul also calls him a, a fellow soldier. He's a spiritual warrior for the gospel. He is faithful and true. Faithful servants place the needs of others above their own. We see this in in Epaphroditus' service to Paul. And faithful servants often make great sacrifices for the glory of God. Verses 29 and 30. Paul says, So receive him in the Lord with all joy and honor such men, for he nearly died for the work of Christ, risking his life to complete what was lacking in your service to me. Just as faithful leadership must flow from our love for God, so also service to the, so the service to his people. We, we cannot escape this call to love God, brothers and sisters. So, so how do we live lives of sacrificial servanthood? First of all, we recognize that that serving others is an avenue in which we ultimately serve God. I mentioned before that it is an aspect of our worship. Being part of the church involves giving and receiving, caring and allowing ourselves to be cared for. And and we really need to remember that to go to either extreme is, is, is a mistake. You 
The, the temptation to think, oh, well, well, my role in the church is to, is to care for and meet the needs of others, but I'll never let anyone care for me. That's, that, that's immaturity. And same is the true for those who say, well, I'm just going to go to church and they can just meet all my needs. And I'm not going to do anything but receive. Well, that's a sign of immaturity as well. Spiritual maturity involves the, 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 the obligation that we have as the body of Christ to, to both serve and be served within the context of the church. And this is our calling as the body of Christ. We serve one another because of our love for God. We care for one another as an aspect of worship. Serving others is a way that, that, that allows for us to die to our own sinful desires. And truly, serving others allows us the opportunity to experience a greater joy in the Lord. Think about that. Our joy is made complete in our faithfulness in caring for one another. You often hear me before we dismiss the children that as I pray for the teachers that their joy will be full in their service of our young ones. Well, the same is true, brothers and sisters, as we serve one another here. It is an opportunity for us to be a a tangible representation of the love of God for one another. Now, we we can all share stories of, of the great comfort that we received when somebody in our church family showed up during our time of need, can we not? We, we, we can all relate to those moments. And those moments, brothers and sisters, should become a regular part of, of who we are as the body of Christ. So, as we conclude, I, I want to focus on both leadership and servanthood, but how they relate to our call to spiritual growth individually. First of all, it's important that we, we, we keep in mind that, that, that I'm referring to when I say leadership, it, it includes those in an official position within the church, but that is not all. We, we lead in many different ways in the body of Christ. We lead by examples of maturity and service to others. But as a church, we must strive to be a church that looks for ways to honor those who sacrifice and serve for the sake of the gospel. We, we should also aspire to, to grow into the very type of people who lead and sacrifice for the glory of God. The Christian life is not a spectator sport. As a coach, I, I often will, will jokingly but pointedly to my players as they're standing on the court, say to them, hey, you didn't buy a ticket to get in here. Why are you watching the play happen around you? Get in the game. And that is the call of God on us. None of you bought tickets to the show this morning. You have been blood bought by Christ and His faithfulness. And he is calling us off the sidelines to, to, to faithful service to one another here in the body of Christ and also to those outside the faith as well. It is not a spectator sport, brothers and sisters. And honestly, a, a fruit of our spiritual growth 
is that as we mature spiritually, we will become servant leaders who bring glory to God. Now, one of the, the, the real joys of, of going back to a church that I served in in the mid-90s was to see one of the now-grown women who was one of the first students I had. I didn't know what I didn't know when it came to church ministry at that point. I was a, a college student who had been a, a, a Christian for only a few years, and, and here I was with the opportunity to, to, to care for these students, these students who spoiled me from any other youth ministry I ever did after that. They were kids that actually wanted me around, right? Crazy, huh? But to, 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 to see her and, and to talk with her and to find out that she's a, 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 an active member in a church and, and is still studying God's word and, and seeking to be a, a faithful witness, someone who leads by her example was such a blessing. To see 25 years later that, that there were those that, 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 that were still staying the course who is now helping others to grow in their faith. That's a, that's a beautiful reminder of how Jesus builds his church. Now, sometimes we, we, we whether we're dealing with, with, with students or adults, we, we serve and we care for, and oftentimes we, we leave the other people scratching their heads wondering why they just, we're just not getting it, or, or maybe we're thinking it about them. Oh, we've, we've been over this truth a hundred times. Why, why don't you believe it? Brothers and sisters, the short term can be a challenge. But we need to remember that we were just as slow on the uptake as those who are younger in the faith than us at this time. And we need to, to, to just pray for and continue to encourage and allow the Spirit of God to work in their lives because who knows how God may use them in 10, 15, 20, 25 years from now, for the good of his people and for the glory of his name. Perhaps there's someone you need to, to reach out to today and to thank them for their influence in your life when you just didn't seem to get it. I'll be honest, sometimes I still feel like I don't get it all the time. But what a great encouragement that would be. She came up, she said, I still have the study Bible you gave me when I graduated high school. Still use it. Didn't even remember giving them study Bibles when they graduated. But staying in the Word of God. So how do we get there, brothers and sisters? It's, it's great in theory. I don't think there's anything that I've said that, that, that any sincere believer would, would disagree with. Yes, our leaders should be loving. Yes, we need to grow spiritually. Yes, sacrifice is a good thing. We all agree. How do we get there? I'm glad you asked. <laughs> brothers and sisters, as I said when I began, the examples of Timothy and Epaphroditus are examples of spiritual maturity. They were men of godly character and we too must prioritize our spiritual growth first of all we must prioritize our relationship with him by seeking to know him as he has revealed himself in his word 
your idea of God is not going to help you grow spiritually. How you think God ought to be is not going to help you grow spiritually. How you can grow for, grow in, and in your love for and your knowledge of God is by turning to what God has said about himself. That, that's the key. That's the key. We must be a people who, who don't just read the book, but we must be a people who believe the book. We must be a people who apply the book. We trust the book. When I began, I said we live in a world that, that calls good evil and evil good. Well, 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 if you want to know the difference between the two, God's told us. So the key to, to spiritual growth is by grounding ourselves in his word, immersing ourselves in his word so that if someone, in the words of, of Spurgeon... Were, were, to, were to prick us, the blood that runs out would be Bibline. We, we, we're so immersed in the Bible that, 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 that we bleed it. We also grow by, by, by letting go of our agendas for the sake of giving ourselves over to living for God's glory and honor. It's no longer about what I can gain but how can I use the place that God has placed me to bring him honor and glory? That's the key to learning to die to ourselves when it it comes to meeting one another's needs. And finally, we grow by developing relationships with one another which encourage us to love God more and to do good for his glory. Christian life, as I said before, is not a spectator sport, but it's also not one that we do in isolation. We need one another to grow in our relationship with Christ. It does not matter how much knowledge a person may have about God's word. If that person is living outside of the fellowship of the local church, he or she is spiritually famished. Because there's no avenue to live out that faith. Not in the way that God has designed it in his word. So brothers and sisters, will we be that church that cultivates loving leadership and sacrificial service as we seek to grow together for the glory of God? The opportunity to care for one another, the the opportunities are, are endless. We simply need to know one another. The opportunities to to, to serve this lost and dying world with the gospel are endless. We simply need to step out in faith and obedience. Will we be that people? Will we be that church that honors God through how we live? Let us pray together. Lord, I thank you for this day and 